John, our guest today is going to be Alex Rodriguez. Very exciting. A great guest. Uh, we've covered him. We loved him as a guy to cover. And it should be interesting to see what he's going to say today. Well, interesting is the word for Alex Rodriguez. That was always the case. We're also at the midway point of the season, the statistical midway point, going to talk about our most disappointing and most surprising players and uh, teams. That's all coming up on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, it feels like just yesterday that Rob Manfred was announcing there was actually going to be a baseball season this year. But as you and I are speaking, 11 teams have reached the statistical halfway point of the season, which is 81 games. And every other team will do that over the next few days. So we thought it would be a good moment to kind of take a deep breath. Instead of doing awards, which everyone does, we're going to take a look at some stuff that we find both disappointing and surprising. You and I usually don't do positive well, but why don't we start on <laughs> positive? Who, who Who's your most surprising team and why? Yeah, you, you, this will not surprise you. I, I found many more disappointing teams than surprising. <laughs> that shouldn't be the case, right? We should It should be balanced, right? My surprise team will be the Cleveland Guardians. They're not playing well now. They're barely over 500, but I mean, they cut back. Their payroll is next to nothing, and... Uh, you know, they've got Jose Ramirez in that lineup. It's tough to name. You know, you and I could do it, but most fans could probably not name most of their lineup. And they are hanging in there right now with the Twins, one of my other, I would say, surprise teams. They've also done a nice job, but God, I had a hard time finding the surprise teams. I had such a hard time finding a surprise team, John, that my surprise team is the New York Yankees. Okay, when we left there. spring training... I thought they'd be in that cluster with Tampa Bay and Toronto and Boston. They have removed themselves from that cluster. As we speak, they're 58 and 22. We're not talking about the 2022 Tampa Bay Rays. We're talking about the 1998 Yankees when we compare them to someone. I didn't see it coming. I just want to highlight one thing So, in surprise. If you and I were talking on April 1st, right before the season began, would we have said the Yankees starting pitching is going to be a wild success this year? I think we thought that it could be good, but the health has been spectacular. And right now, they have five guys with an ERA plus of 110 or better. An ERA plus of 110 or better. That hasn't been done with five qualifying starters since 1946. Right. And yeah. Severino isn't qualified. He's two innings under it. And I would say by the end of the season, they won't have five guys who qualify and get to 162 innings. But it is amazing midway through the season that that's what we've gotten. Yeah, from like your choice. I think I just got used to the Yankees being great. I mean, they've been great almost from the start of the year. I did not expect it. I am as a playoff team but not as this team. They have clearly been the best team in baseball. So I, I actually like your surprise team. I think that's a good choice. Disappointing team. Let's go to disappointing Yeah, let's team. see where, where we, we are. A lot of choices Just, well, I, I should say we don't talk about it beforehand. So we're going right. to see where we match up and we don't match up. You know, I've been saying all along it's, it's the White Sox and they are disappointing, but I, I switched at the last minute and went with the Angels. Uh, they started great. And ding, they, ding, 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 ding. We, we have that right. Up, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the White Sox are the obvious answer, probably. They've been pretty terrible in a bad division. And uh, I get it if you pick them. But boy, the Angels, they looked like they were going to be really good. They are just so top heavy. To my mind, they have the two best players in the game. And there's no excuse for being this bad and almost out of it by this point. 
just a terrible job all around by the angels. I think we have to do a culpa de mea here, yes, right? Because right. me we, and you, I think on multiple shows early in the year, yes. we're talking about how much we like them. I think we got very much seduced by the star power, uh, namely Otani and Trout. Just to put it in perspective, and yes, they are my most disappointing team. On May 15th, John, they're 24-13. and 13. It's tied for the third best record in the major leagues. Since then, they're 13-31. and 31. Only Oakland, which gave up before the year yeah. began, is worse. You know, they obviously changed managers. They're both their offense and their pitching has been terrible in that time. And I just want to, I know Trout and Otani are special players. But I just want to say, I do not want to hear about MVP with these two guys this season. It's about value. And, you know, those two guys have to stand up at a time where the team is falling down. They didn't. And at some point, you got to punch up in your weight category. I just want to say this. Against the Yankees and Astros this year, Mike Trout is 3 for 34 with one homer, one RBI, and 16 strikeouts. Otani is 176 with one, one homer. He only pitched against yeah. the Yankees. He was terrible. At some point, if you're going to be valuable, you got to help your team beat the good teams also. I'm taking them out. They could be down ballot someplace. Yeah, I don't think they're MVP candidates at this moment either. There's going to be people who make a war case, certainly for Trout, and probably yeah. a unique case for, for Otani yeah, again. I don't think it's about not doing as well again against the good teams. I think it's the fact that they're really not a contender at this moment. You know, they've played well in any case. I mean, Judge is the MVP, right? I mean, at this point, I don't think there's a competition. I think uh, there's a couple of guys in Houston Ramirez. who would have an argument. Ramirez with, with the surprising Cleveland team. Let's We're, we're talking about yeah. players, John. Who's, who's your surprising player? So far, a halfway yeah, through I, this. I went with Brandon Drury because he's been a journeyman his whole career. We've seen him briefly with the Yankees, briefly with the Mets. He's with a lot of teams briefly, and now he's with the Reds. And, you know, he's being talked about as a key trade element for some team, right? I mean, I think he could help, probably could help the Mets, probably could help some other teams. He has been really good for the Reds uh, in a terrible year for, for them otherwise. Got an opportunity to play because they trade away a lot of their team. Obviously, had that fire sale that you referenced. You know, Alejandro Kirk has made a nice move up. He's going to start the All-Star game at catcher. We both think Trevino should be there somewhere, I think. Uh, and he's been a nice surprise player. And Jimenez, you know, the guy the Mets, one of the Mets guys the Mets gave away for Lindor, traded for Lindor. Lindor has been good, too. I'm not criticizing the trade, but I think Jimenez, Kirk, Trevino. But to me, Drury is the winner. I'm going to pick uh, a rookie. I didn't see Jeremy Pena coming in this way. When we talked about rookies at the beginning of this season, they were all in the AL, the guys we really like. Bobby Witt Jr., Spencer Tarkelson, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, yeah. I guess even Riley Green. And certainly some of those guys have played well. I mean, Julio Rodriguez, you might argue, is an all-star. But Pena was not seen in that class. And they lost a great shortstop. In Korea, he seamlessly in year one has replaced him on both sides of the ball for a high-end contender. Their ability to keep churning out tremendous players yeah. is really I mean, something. I didn't see him in the wit Rodriguez category. Those were the favorites, but you know that's my home base for spring training. I'm down there a lot. I thought Jeremy Pena was going to be good. I, maybe because I saw him hit a 480-foot home run He's in spring training. He's leading the American League in defense. shortstop war. Yeah, well, his like, defense is spectacular. And his I, offense I, has been clutch and very good. He has over an 800 I, OPS. Yeah, I'm not shocked. I mean, I saw him, the defense, we knew I knew he was going to be a good defender. The hitting, there was a question about, although his numbers are good in the minor leagues. If you go 
look at it, he's been a 290 hitter in the minor leagues. That was the question. But when I saw him at that 480-foot home run or whatever in spring training, I'm not that shocked. That's why I didn't even consider him. But uh, he is a surprise, and he's certainly a candidate for Rookie of the Year. No question I mean, about Julio that. Rodriguez. Yeah, are going to be real, real competition. Yeah, Rodriguez show. has been great, and I, I do think he's an all-star. How about your most disappointing position player? John? Again, I am on the, on the negative side. I came up with about 25 guys, so yeah. it was difficult to narrow it down. But then I remembered I'm in New York, and I really can't forget what Joey Gallo is doing. He basically strikes out every time you need him to get a hit. And he's hitting, what is he hitting, 160-something at this point? I just don't think New York is for him. I do think, think I think? You think? I, that, well, I mean, I've heard you say you just don't think he's a good player, but I think it's New York. I think if you get out of New York, he's athletic. He could strike out 200 times and be a good war player someplace else. <laughs> well, he's batted better than 160 in his previous stops. So Two I, of the three worst averages in Yankee history. You and I remember the other one, Jim Mason. Has the oh yeah, one. Jim Mason, the shortstop, yeah. light hitting, good fielding shortstop. Gallo is a good defensive outfielder, but you can't carry. This is why they're looking at outfield now and for trades because of Gallo's struggles. I mean, there are a lot of guys who fit this category: Merrifield, Baez, Duval, Torkelson, who you mentioned earlier. Frazier, but to me, Joey Gallo is the standout in this category. You know, because the Yankees have done so well in spite of him, I yeah. didn't pick him. I think you thought I was going to pick yes, him. Yes, I did. I'm going to pick Javi Baez because the Tigers wanted to make real improvements this year, and he was at the center of it. A six-year, $140 million Fair. contract. This guy's hitting 209. his strikeouts, his lack of ability to make adjustments at the plate. Like Joey Gallo, still tremendous defender, still tremendous on the bases, but... He was supposed to be a centerpiece for a changing in time, and it just yes. hasn't happened, John. John, we do have Alex Rodriguez on our show today, and we thought that would be a good time to talk about something from our shared history over 30 years each of covering about who we've liked and haven't liked covering over the years. Now, John, I'm going to take you back to when we were on the beat together in 1990 was our first year. Like People really thought that your guy was Greg Catteray and mine was Chuck Carey. Remember yes, that? That is uh, true. That's probably not going to be our favorite ones, but I wanted to get in that time <laughs> capsule and bring you back. You remember that Michael K always, uh, you know, Michael K was great on the beat. Yeah. He's great now as a Yankee announcer, iconic New York announcer, and he got a lot of stories. You know, he was tight with George, and right. he was good with Mattingly, and there weren't a lot of stars on that team. But I got some stories out of Cataray. We were very right. close, and he called, you remember what he called him, his nickname? Chat Chataway, right? Chataway. Yeah, Greg yeah, Chataway. Because he was annoyed that he would give me stories. That was a, so, yeah, that, Cataray that was a, I have listed here, but he was not he's not my very favorite, but he's certainly in the mix and what a great guy. And he did some announcing for the A's. I'm surprised he's not still there because he, he did I can't Chataway. tell you what Chuck carries up to, but I will say that I got thrown on the beat. Michael Kay left on my second day of work at the post. He was the Yankee beat writer. Literally my second day in 1989, yeah. Michael left to go to the Daily News. We went to first Steve Serby, then Doug Gould. I didn't get the beat until the middle of May of 89. How about this? My first day as a Yankee beat writer, I had to fly to Anaheim. West Coast, so now you're dealing yeah. with West Coast deadlines. You have to have an right. early before you even get to the ballpark. They had just brought up Chuck Carey. I cold called, thinking the hotel, you're under yeah. your own name, what you wouldn't have today. I cold called him in the hotel and just said, hi, I explained who I was. Can I speak to you about being promoted? And he said, yeah, come to my room. I was like, okay, so you're going to be my favorite. So that's how he ended <laughs> up being Carey, my favorite. Was, so is he your pick as your... your no, pick? no, no. Who's your favorite you've covered over well, here? 
you could probably guess my favorite if you thought about it. And why would you think about it? It's Chili Davis. I mean, I, I covered him covering, with the Angels. I love covering Chili as a hitting I, coach for sure and as a player. Yankees, a uh, great guy, hilarious, great sense of humor. And now people will understand why I wrote 10 rip jobs on the Mets for firing him. Yeah. Was that last year? I think so. It was a mistake to fire him and bring in whoever they brought in. I don't even remember, but it was a disaster. Obviously, they've straightened that out this year and their hitting is great. But uh, Chili Davis was always my favorite uh, to cover. I love Dion too. And for visiting players, I do like Mike Trout a lot. I like Matt Holliday a lot. But Chili Davis is my winner. Yeah, you know, Chili was one of those guys. He used to say something, and I thought he was the guy who meant it. If you ever asked Chili about an injury, he'd say, if I'm playing, I'm not hurt enough not to play. And if I'm not playing, I'm too hurt to play. Let's never talk about it again. <laughs> and I always thought that that was a way, because I don't like the, hey, not to make an excuse, but, yeah. and then you tell me about your injury. Chili never did that. Great guy. I really enjoyed covering David Cohn. I thought David, for a pitcher, understood the psychology of hitting. Uh, he clearly knew about pitching. He had the ability. He wanted to be a sports writer as a kid. He had the ability to be global with you. You could talk to him about anything on the team. And he had the ability to be very honest and take you really inside without being a machete artist on his own team or yeah. teammates. But you knew oh, this is what's going on in the eternal life of the team right now. And I thought that was very valuable. Who didn't you like covering? Well, this is probably universal. You know, I went with Albert Bell. I didn't really cover him as a beat writer other than as a visiting player, but it was brutal to, to actually go up to Albert Bell. And again, you know, if Joe and Evan are listening, this is not the reason I didn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame. His overall numbers are just not good enough. And he was a one, while a great one-dimensional player, one-dimensional player only played 12 years. That's the reason I didn't vote for him. We voted for a lot of guys who are pains in the you-know-what, nothing to do with that. But this guy was the biggest pain in the you-know-what of anybody I think any of us have ever covered. I'll give you a credible Albert Bell story. Is it Winter Haven where they were? Yes. Yes. So, and they had like that wild complex. It was like castles, like almost like a buildings all over the place. And I went there one spring training, like when they, Cleveland was the big rival of the Yankees to do a big, hey, Cleveland are getting ready for thing. And I had never been to that complex. And I got out of my car and I must have looked clearly lost. Somebody touches my shoulder and I turn around. It's Albert Bell. And he goes, who are you looking for? And I said, Mark Shapiro, who I yeah. think was either the assistant general manager or the general manager. He goes, come with me. And he literally walked me to Mark Shapiro's office. So now I'm saying, I'm going to go to the clubhouse. And Albert Bell, who doesn't talk to anybody, he likes me. Like there's instant karma he, he here. He didn't like you, by the way. I go to Albert Bell. I go, hey, Albert, you know, remember Joel Sherman? And he said, get the, uh, we haven't decided if we could curse yet on this show. <laughs> so he fills I in a word the there. Yeah, out of here. And I looked at him and I tried again. I said, don't you get the... <laughs> so I got a little bit of the bipolar thing. Yeah. So as he, you, he liked you better than he liked me, I think. Yeah. So the guy who I really disliked covering was David Wells. I just thought David... And it's interesting because of how close Conan Wells ended up being. I mean, Wells and I almost came to blows multiple times. <laughs> you know, like... He tried to run me out of the clubhouse a few times, whatever. I, I just felt like David was this guy who would do, there's a lot of players like this over the years who would do like, you're upset because this is my truth. And I'd go, yeah, but it isn't the truth, right? Like there's a difference between your truth. Like just if you told me the floor was made of lava, that might be your truth. The floor isn't actually made of lava. And so I didn't enjoy 
covering David at all. That's funny that you picked those two guys because they were friends. Yes, like very Cone good. And, Wells, and, and, but- and Cone really took up Wells in year two of Wells with the Yankees the first time around yeah. because he realized how tough a time Wells was having, especially with Torrey and Stottlemyre, the pitching coach, and decided to see if he could kind of help nurture him along. I really liked covering one and didn't like covering the other. But one person, John, I think we both like covering just because of how interesting he was at the best of times and certainly at a lot of the worst of times was Alex Rodriguez. And he joins us next on the show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, I thought for several hours now about how to introduce our guest. And Alex Rodriguez has just done too much on and off the field. uh, And I hope we get to a lot of it. So I'm just going to say thank you for joining us, Alex Rodriguez. I'm just excited it's 20 minutes, so you can't get that much out of me. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like a telethon, Alex. You could always extend the extra hour if we're still getting uh, good funding. Alex, I I, I just, I'm going to let people into what you and I talk about these days, which you know, I cover baseball, but my passion is the NBA. The last text I sent to Alex involving either sport was this. Like the Kyle Anderson sign for you guys, real pro, can defend, and he can play second unit offense at a different pace when Edwards <laughs> is out, forces opponents to be ready to defend 180 degree different types. Alex, of course, can't talk about Kyle Anderson. He can't talk about Rudy Gobert as the co-owner of the Timberwolves. I believe you can't, right? Because July 6th is the actual free agent day. It's uh, bizarre when we deal with baseball that there's kind of legal tampering. So if I'm right about that, Alex, and you don't want to talk about either of those, I wonder if you could talk about the commonality at all. You play baseball for a long time. You have great passion for it. You try to buy a baseball team, and now you're co-owner of a basketball team, I think, on path at some point to be like the primary owners, you and Mark Lurie at some point. What's the commonality between the sports? Well, I think they're very, very similar. And I draw in my 25 year experience as a professional in baseball to be an owner and hopefully a productive owner in the NBA. I think when you look at it, it's a, it's a game played by human beings with emotions. Some people, some athletes have high heart, heartbeats. Some have very slow heartbeats. You need athletes that love to play baseball. You need athletes that love to be in the gym and play basketball. And at the end of the day, we lean tremendously on analytics. But at the end of the day, it is about humans leading other humans. Uh, the Yankees and Mets are great examples with Aaron Boone and now Buck Showalter with the Mets. We have a great leader in Chris Finch and recently uh, you know, brought in Tim Connolly to be our president of basketball operations from Denver Nuggets. Alex, uh, I don't know much about the NBA. I stopped following it when Bill Bradley retired. So uh, I do know <laughs> that uh, your team did well after you acquired them, uh, both you know, in terms of at the gate and uh, everything else. You won a lot of games. So uh, obviously you're doing well with it at the start. Uh, but I do want to ask you about uh, your interest in owning a baseball team. And certainly we all know that uh, you guys, you came in second uh, looking to buy the Mets. 
And uh, I know you're still interested in, in owning a baseball team at some point. Obviously, uh, the NBA could serve as a proving ground. As I said, you're doing well with that right now. Tell me a little bit about how close you came with the Mets, what you think of the way Steve Cohn has handled things, how you would have handled it. And also, I mean, to be fair about it, I should ask you, you know, obviously you were with J-Lo at the time and you're both very wealthy people. Uh, you're not with her anymore. Would it have been able to work out with you just owning the team or was just something that was unforeseen? We didn't know that was coming and uh, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, so I think this, I think that for me, personally speaking, uh, it was a very worthwhile journey and a very educational process. Uh, I'm glad I did it. Uh, I think we were in the running. I think we were the second winners. Uh, I think Stephen Cohen is doing a terrific job with this franchise. It's good to know that we had a lot of similar thoughts in thinking about uh, analytics and leadership. Buck Sherwater was going to be my guy. Uh, David Cohn uh, would have been my pitching coach. Uh, I would have definitely had Al Leiter involved. Uh, I would have tried to bring Keith Hernandez back as my favorite player. And look, I have a special place in my heart with the New York Mets. I grew up a New York Mets fan. So that was uh, a really big deal for me. And of course, being in a market like New York, I think there's about seven or eight teams worth having and, and taking a run at, obviously, the big seven, right? Whether you say the Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, the Cubs, Yankees, Mets, you know, the, there's, you know, seven or eight that are really, really interesting from a business proposition. Look, I think it would have worked well, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. And the Mets are in a great place. So are the Yankees. And we may have a Subway Series uh, rematch here from 2000. Alex, you mentioned the Yankees there. I, I wonder if anyone has a more unique insider understanding of what Aaron Judge is going through right now. You twice were the big free agent in the free agent market, once as a very young player, 25-26, where you went to the Texas Rangers for 10 years of $252 million. Then within part of that, you were able to opt out and maximize that and do 10 years of $275 million with the Yankees. So you, were, you had it at two different points. I guess if I was going to crystallize this and ask you, what is the piece of advice you would give to someone who's in this position? Because the first time, again, as an outsider, it seemed to me you got the money but ended up in the wrong place. And the second time you got the money, but you risked possibly leaving the right place but ended up there anyway. About the idea that that nexus between making sure you maximize your financial goals as a player, but not do it in obscurity or in a place that can't win. Yeah, I think I'll start with uh, your first question is what advice would I give? I, I think it would be I became a free agent at 24 and then again at 32. And at 32, what I learned was that it is my decision, my family's decision, not uh, representation, not marketing, not friends. It was ultimately my decision. So to meditate on that and to really get involved with the negotiation, I do believe players today are smarter than ever. Information is more prevalent than ever. Go out and if you want to be somewhere, make the phone call and say, hey, I want to be here. I want to be treated fairly. Let's sit down in a room for three or four hours and get it done. And I think if Freddie Freeman did that, perhaps he will still be a brave. I don't have enough information about the whole Casey Close thing, but I do think a lot of that could have been prevented. Uh, the Yankee judge situation is as compelling of a drama as you can as you can write up, right? I mean, on one end, you have a supreme athlete who is a world-class kid, New York proven, uh, Madison Avenue friendly, 
who rolled the dice and bet on himself. I mean, Joe, we've had conversations. I love that. I love that he has that type of confidence. It also seems that his poise and maturity is at an apex. He really is answering every question perfectly. He's playing at a higher level than any other player in the big leagues. And he, I think he is the most valuable player, not only on the field, but as a marketing tool for an empire like the New York Yankees. And I talked about that extensively on the Michael K, uh, on the K-Rod show um, a few weeks ago. On the Yankees perspective, business has never been better. You have almost a million people watching the Yes Network every night locally. Uh, that thing throws off over $400 million of free cash flow is a cash cow. The Yankees are six, six and a half billion dollars. They probably wouldn't sell for less than seven billion. Jerry Jones already said he wouldn't sell the Cowboys for 10 billion. And you're talking about the one, two most prominent franchises in the world. So, John, you like this. This is a perfect storm. The most iconic player in our game today that's lacking big, unique, iconic players and the most iconic franchise in the world in the New York Yankees. There's a marriage made in heaven, but they both gambled. And I think this is going to cost the New York Yankees a fortune. And I handicap it that it's about 50% chance that he comes back to the Yankees. Wow, that that surprises me. I, I mean, I'm thinking he, sh- he probably should come back. That's just my opinion. And they should be able to work it out. You know, you've done as well as anybody in free agency, the $252 million contract. And fairly, Scott Boris was a big part of that. And you doubled uh, the record at that point. Kevin Garnett was 126. So, I mean, you're in it to the players. Minnesota Timberwolf legend. Yeah, that's Garnett. right. Uh, the player's very much in it. So, I mean, you showed your business acumen early. Obviously, Scott was a big part of the first one, huge part of it. What do you think should happen here? Shouldn't Aaron Judge be a Yankee? Wouldn't this be a mistake if they weren't able to work it out? I mean, obviously, you saw what Freddie Freeman's reaction was. He doesn't seem very happy with what happened being a Los Angeles Dodgers. And I think you came close to being a Los Angeles Dodgers. They tried to get you at one point. You can talk about that a little bit. Where do you think the competition will come from? Why do you think there's a 50% chance that he may not end up with the Yankees? I'm surprised by that. Yeah, let me unpack that. That was a lot there, John. So I would say this, that um, when you roll the dice, right, and you turn down 33, 34, whatever the number is, is irrelevant. You make a big bet on yourself and then you go out and you you hit, you know, the jackpot. Right. And and you're playing at an all time career high. So it's a perfect storm. Once you've earned the right to be a free agent, just think about it. Right. If the New York Post offers you a million dollars and you want an extension for three years and now they do not pay you that. And now you're a free agent and you have everybody coming after you. You're not going to go to the New York Post probably for one point one. Right. They're going to have to ante up to get you because you bet on yourself. By the way, if you fell in your face, if you fall in your face, if you would have fallen on your face, you would have been gone. You wouldn't have been. So it's always fascinating to me, John, as when people think about it would be a mistake for Aaron not to come back to the Yankees. But how about the Yankees having a guy in the front farm system and the big leagues for over nine years and not extending him? To me, that's equally a mistake by the New York Yankees. You know, it's interesting, Alex. I was thinking about it this morning. The Astros have stayed a high-level team, and in back-to-back years, are they judged? They lost George Springer, and they lost Carlos Correa, and they've kept churning. So I think we've seen examples that if you have a good organization, you could keep churning. But this does feel like a little bit like the Freeman situation in that the marriage should continue. There's probably times where the marriage shouldn't continue, right? Like one side or the other really feels badly about it or wants to move. 
And I guess I would just ask this question, and I, I think you know this, Alex, from all the years we've talked. I'm a player's guy. If Aaron Judge wants to go someplace that pays him more, or maybe he wants to go to Northern California where he's from, end up a giant, whatever. But as somebody who found a way to stay with the Yankees, and all that means during your career, which is the likelihood that you're going to contend for a championship year after year, and then post-career to be associated with it. I'm wondering if I could just ask, do you think it would be a mistake for him to walk away from this, from from what seems like the best gig possible, which is star with the iconic franchise? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a hell of a compelling argument, right? If you're the New York Yankees, um, the truth is, The Yankees are the most successful franchise in baseball and possibly in sports. No franchise can afford a player more than the New York Yankees can afford Aaron Judge. Now, you mentioned a few other examples, Freddie Freeman, even Carlos Correa leaving Houston, right? The truth is, none of them are apples to apples. There's none, none of those players can compare to Aaron Judge. His size, his looks, his Madison Avenue appeal, New York proven. So... I do believe that the biggest ROI for the Yankees is keeping Aaron Judge versus any other player. And yes, the the business will go on and the Yankees will always be the Yankees, but I don't think they'll find a player since Derek Jeter that connects to that fan base as much as Aaron Judge and more importantly, feeds the Yes Network the star power that they so much need. Just to put a bow on it, I would just ask this, is you mentioned all the reasons the Yankees would sign him, and I agree with those. But does those compel another team to go to the financial regions you're certainly talking about, which is high 30s, low 40s, maybe more, because he will be 30, play a 31 next year. He does have an injury history. He doesn't have the background there. He walks in as a star, but it doesn't mean as much to be a Met, Giant, Red Sox, Cub, whatever. Will one of those teams go to a place that would compel him to leave? I guess the answer is if the Texas Rangers once went to $252 million out of no place for you, right? Like we didn't see that coming. The answer is maybe somebody will do it. But I do wonder if any other team feels as compelled to spend the kind of money you're talking about beyond the Yankees. Yeah, look, for me, the, 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 the tough part about Texas was we, we gave it our best shot. And, and we ended up in last place. And, and that part wasn't fun, but I love my time in Texas. I thought we had an opportunity to do good things. Look, we tried, we failed, you move on. Now, imagine Aaron Judge, I'm not suggesting Aaron Judge should go to the Marlins or to Baltimore, but imagine a world where he ends up in Boston, where they won four championships over the last 17 years, where the Yankees have won one in, over the last 22 years. Uh, imagine a place where the Cubs can you know, wrap their franchise in build that organization back up with a guy like Aaron Judge, and they have the marquee network they have to feed, just like the Yankees have the S and the Mets have S and Y. Dodgers are always in play, and you mentioned his hometown team, San Francisco. The formula for the Giants with one superstar filled that park up for, you know, almost part of 10 years, and it was one of the most exciting places to go. And basically, they have a debt-free arena, a stadium, that is profitable, is a healthy business, and they have plenty of room and their salary to go get this guy. But in, let me put a bow on this. Here's what I think. I think this marriage should happen. I think we should all learn with what happened with the Braves and Freeman. What happens once you become a free agent, the agent gets a lot of power and the player goes in hiding. So once that season is over, whether it's the World Series or the ALCS, whatever it is, the Yankees will not be able to get a cold of, of Aaron Judge. In communication, when, when in negotiations, when you cut communications, that always scares me. And John Heyman, that's why I think is a 50-50 handicap 
because when you cut negotiations, a lot can be lost in translation. You know, I know you've both put a bow on it, but I, I did have one more follow-up <laughs> on this because this is a very interesting subject. And I mean, no, it's the no, subject of the season. No player knows more about this than you do, uh, having signed the two contracts that you did sign. And you obviously follow all of this very closely, which is why you're a great guest. But I will say that he was looking to get equal to the highest paid position player in the game when he was talking to the Yankees initially. We know that it was around $36 million. That's what Garrett Cole makes. So I've suggested publicly and not, not to the Yankees happiness. They haven't loved, they didn't like this column that he deserves the 36 million. As you sit here now, do you think he deserves the 36 million? Should he get even more than that? It sounds like to me, you think you know, he should get whatever he gets. Would he get even more than what he was asking for based on the fact that he gambled and did win as we agree on? You mentioned a few teams. Who do you think the biggest threat is to sign him outside the Yankees? I think San Francisco is a scary one, right? Because it's back home and his family, he's very close to his family. Uh, I think the Red Sox would always like to stick it to, to the Yankees. Uh, the Cubs are dangerous because they have tremendous resources and they've kind of gone dormant here for a year or two, but I know Tom Rick is going to come out swinging. Look, I, I think, John, you have to take a step back. We're so myopically involved in baseball. But when you look at the biggest stars of sports, which is what I think you have to comp Aaron Judge with, is you have the Steph Currys. You have contracts in the NBA that are very common, over $50 million. And none of those franchises are, are worth as much as the New York Yankees. The example that I used in K-Rod was Back in 09, 08, I was making 33 million and the Yankees were worth 1.5. There's no way that Aaron Judge should make three more million and the Yankees are worth 4X at 6 billion. Now, the Yankees, these are rich people's problems, right? I mean, but Aaron Judge has earned it. The Yankees have the most successful organization in baseball. And it's one of those things that if Scott Boris was, <laughs> was, was the Asian, it would be a different conversation. It wouldn't be 36 million, John, I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious if it's 43 like Scherzer and done over even a longer period of time. I will say, I, I did see the K-Rod segment you did. I think you compared them to Curry and Rodgers. In a world, if the Yankees lived in a salary cap world, they'd be happy to give them 40 or 45 because they know what their payroll would be. And also, we've seen in those sports, if you have Curry or Rodgers, you're definitely making the playoffs and have a chance at a championship. In our sport, we see you have Mike Trout. That's not true. You have to be able to sprinkle it around, even the Yankees, and have a good team overall. But I, I think it's fascinating just where the Yankees have to go and who else would go there with him. I have one answer for that. Let me let me re rebuttal on that. <laughs> John Heyman likes a good debate. He's made a great career out of it. Here's what I would say. You know, I think a lot of teams use that as an excuse. If you look at the last many champions you know you, you look at uh, the braves they don't have the highest salary you look at houston astros they don't have the highest salary uh san francisco won off three championships where they were kind of middle to the high road you don't have to have the highest salary obviously you see what the rays have done for many many years i don't think it's aaron judge's fault i mean the irony joel that you're using and i think people would use that you don't have a salary cap, therefore, I'm going to use that against the player is a fascinating argument. <laughs> if we had a salary cap, we would pay him more. That is an ironic thing. And again, these are things that the union and Major League Baseball has to figure out. But I don't want I don't want to cap Aaron Judge's salary because there is no salary cap. But I hear your point. I'm a player's guy. I hope he soaks them. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying I, I was bringing what I think the common argument was and you spoke to the common argument. Yeah, I'm a player's guy and an employee guy. I will 
point out one thing, though, and this will be on management behalf. Sorry about this. I, no one's feeding my ear either. I'm just going to say it on my own. You mentioned Steph Curry, people like that. They're, the game is different. And again, I, I already admitted, I stipulated, I know nothing about the NBA. Alex, you're an expert. Joel is an Uber expert. It's crazy what he knows about the NBA. It is a different game. I mean, Steph Curry has won four championships. You know, you can have the same guy shoot the ball every time down. You've got to wait your turn in baseball. So by the nature of the game, isn't a LeBron James or a Steph Curry or a Aaron Rodgers because he Rod- touches the ball on every back. I was play. trying to think of an, the name of the, uh, the the Nets player who's good, who wants Durant. to leave. Durant, thank you. See, you really see do how, know nothing see about how the little NBA. I know. By the nature of the game, I think the basketball players do have an argument to make more money. But your point about the And the fewer values, players on the roster. Right. The value of the franchise is a great point, Alex. But I will say the nature of the game changes it for me. I agree with both of you. Here's what I will say on that is that of all the teams we've talked about, no one has the number one sports regional networks like the New York Yankees, the Yes Network, and no one needs to have superstars more than the New York Yankees. So I think, uh, John, your point is well taken when you talk about 99% of, no pun intended, 99 with other players, but with Aaron Judge, he is such a unique anomaly and he's so well positioned for the New York Yankees that if you're the Yes Network and you're the executives there, you're saying, please sign Aaron Judge, even if you have to overpay. And by the way, he's 30 years old, but he's in great condition. I've always said power ages more than better than speed. And I do think, look, Mariano Rivera, 43 years old, was still saving 35, 40 games. Why, why would an Aaron Judge at 35, 36, 37? Now, you take it to 39, 40, that's a different ballgame. But I do think he has another seven or eight good, at least good years. Yeah, you know, uh, you've mentioned uh, the Yes Network a few times. John and I shared a beat with your partner, Michael Kay, on the beat in the early 1990s. We've, only, we've known him for a long time. Obviously, Alex, when we speak to you, we wanted to cover a lot of areas, but time is always... Of the essence. So I wonder if I could just wrap it up. You're doing K-Rod now. You've obviously got the Timberwolves. Tell us what interests you. Do you like the TV? Where are you going now? What do you want to still do? You're obviously an older man to play baseball, but you're a young man in life with a lot of ambition. Where, where are you going? Well, let me just address our, our common friend in Michael K. Uh, Michael K is a great friend. As you know, we all respect him and love him. I did not appreciate what a supreme talent he was. And I know that he changes the game from the booth, like Vince Scully, like Jack Buck, like Joe Buck and and others. But this guy is so freaking talented. He works so hard. He's so passionate. I am thrilled to be doing K-Rod with him and uh, him and I have just gotten closer and closer. So so that's one. I I think on on my end, uh, Joe, what I love to do is, uh, number one, I love to be a father to my beautiful girls, Natasha and Ella, a rising senior and a rising freshman. I can't believe I'm starting to visit colleges with Natasha. Uh, they're both in camp right now, so that that's an exciting. I miss them tremendously. And, and then I like putting teams together. I like putting teams together, whether that's in business or whether that's in sports or front offices. I like collaborating with the greatest minds in the world. That's why I'm doing this podcast. And I like <laughs> seriously, you guys are great thinkers, and I like to be challenged by great thinkers. And Joe, you and I had some of the most fascinating conversations over the last 20 years. So that's what I like to do. I like to win with with people that are like minded. And I like to see young people, whether when we back founders on our venture business is I like to build and support just like Roger Young were drafted me number one in 1993 uh, when he was the head scout for the Mariners. I like to bet on younger people, men and women, and give them the opportunity they gave me. 
Alex, we covered a lot here, and we can't thank you enough for that, but we certainly left a lot on the plate for what we hope is the next time. But Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Awesome, guys. Good luck. Thank you. John, we covered a lot of ground with Alex Rodriguez, mostly about Aaron Judge. What what, what stuck with you from yeah, the interview? I mean, for me, I thought, you know, Judge was looking for $36 million. I've written that he should get the $36 million. I really hadn't considered he should get way above that. And I thought he made some interesting points about how when he made $33 million, the Yankees were worth $1.5 billion. Now the Yankees are worth $6 billion plus. I don't know whether he wants to multiply Judge's salary by four times or what, but... The idea that Judge should make forty million more, fifty million, uh, it was interesting to hear that. You know, I'm not sure that I agree, but uh, he certainly knows uh, business, has a mind for it, and uh, made interesting points. Yeah, you know, my question is not that he's making bad points, but will any other team go there? In other words, at some point, are the Yankees bidding against themselves just to justify it? And I would ask a larger question that's an Alex Rodriguez question. I wonder what you think, John, is they did, at the last second, Brian Cashman did not want to resign him, right? It was above his head. It was ownership, Randy Levine. They brought him back for 10 years at $275 million. You think they'll look back at that experience and say, oh, yeah, that was good we did that for a player in his 30s with everything that came after because they want to change championship ratings were good on yes or will they say it was bad because Alex got old on the contract obviously there was steroid stuff uh, that came along I mean it is an interesting question and do they look at that and say we should have walked away from it then we should walk away from it now yeah no I mean fresh on everybody's mind and Alex referenced it was the Freddie Freeman situation I think everybody's looking at that certainly Judge is I don't think he's as emotional as Freddie Freeman probably I don't see a crying no I don't see that from him but there are many advantages for him to remain a I think that's pretty clear uh, from a marketing and business standpoint for him and for the team. So I still don't think it's 50-50. I think the Yankees are the big favorites. That's another interesting thing Alex said. And, you know, he's been through free agency twice. Once he left, once he stayed. So maybe that's why he thinks it's 50-50. I'm not sure. I'm with you, though. I I agree with you that I'm not sure there are other teams that are going to be going 50 million, unless we're talking about that short deal, the four, five-year deal. Then they may get up into the $40 million plus range. Yeah, I could see that. You mentioned he said something interesting. We've known him for about a quarter of a century each. Usually when he opens his mouth, he says something interesting. I'm glad he did that on this episode of the show, our baseball podcast from the New York Post. I want to thank Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. They do such a great job helping us every week. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and write a nice review on Apple for us. John can be followed on Twitter at John Heyman. I'm at Joel Sherman 1. We'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday, the entire MLB season, with the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.